<sighs> okay, here we go. Most wellness and fitness experts agree that our human meat sack bodies are not really suited for all the sitting we do in our modern, convenience-laden lifestyles. There are a ton of studies that link the steep increase in sedentary time to the steep increase in the risk of cardiovascular disease. But evolutionarily speaking, how does this really stack up? Are we really that much more sedentary than we were a few decades or a few hundred or a few thousand years ago? Well, let's find out on this episode of Second Wind Fitness. My name is Brock Armstrong. But before we get started, as you've probably noticed, this podcast is no longer in production, but there are so many people who are still listening to each episode and reaching out to me for advice and help and support that I've decided to keep the dream and this podcast alive, which means I'm paying a few maintenance fees out of my pocket. And I don't mean to make this sound like a woe is me kind of affair, because it is indeed a pleasure to have created something that is being appreciated. But... If you felt so inclined, you could go to brockarmstrong.com slash coffee to, yes, as it sounds, buy me a virtual coffee. And since coffee is easily my biggest vice, I'm what you would call a coffee snob, if you buy me a coffee, I can pay my hosting fees with all the coffee money that I save. So win-win situation here. So go to brockarmstrong.com slash coffee and help keep this podcast and my fancy coffee habit alive. That's brockarmstrong.com slash coffee. During our evolution, as this brand of Homo sapien anyway, our hunter-gatherer ancestors walked and ran at a moderate to high intensity level out of necessity, not out of recreation like we do now, which could explain why people like me are always nagging you to at least try to get 30 to 40 minutes of moderate to vigorous movement per day. Because, well, you know what? It really works. At least it helps. And truly, our human physiology appears to be adapted to higher activity levels than what most of the world is demonstrating today. And it's also true that the health risks from more sitting, or being less active in general throughout the day, seem to correlate with reduced levels of muscle contractions, or whole body movement, as I like to call it, which affects both the muscles themselves, but also our whole body energy metabolism. But this notion is a bit of a paradox. From an evolutionary standpoint, the increased activity levels demanded by our hunter-gatherer lifestyle likely coexisted with outside pressures to conserve and minimize energy expenditure due to things like lack of readily available snacks and conveniently packaged consistent meals like we have today. Which brings us to a study, <laughs> one of my favorite things. And this study is on the evolutionary biology of human inactivity, and it's called Sitting, Squatting, and the Evolutionary Biology of Human Inactivity that was published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Science. I'll put a link in the show notes if you want to check it out. 
And this study looked into whether we really ought to be trashing our chairs and setting fire to our couches. Okay, here's what the study did. To test the hypothesis that inactivity in hunter-gatherers is associated with increased muscle activity, in contrast to the chair-sitting that is most common in industrial populations, the researchers conducted an eight-day study that examined inactivity in 28 people of the Hadza of Tanzania, a population of modern-day hunter-gatherers. Activity levels were assessed using accelerometers, observational data, and measurement of muscle activity via electromyography. But let's not get into all that. Let's jump forward to the results. The paper concludes with this. Based on our results, we introduce the inactivity mismatch hypothesis and propose that human physiology is likely adapted to more consistently active muscles derived from both physical activity and from non-ambulatory postures with higher levels of muscle contraction. Okay, now <laughs> let's translate that. Hunter-gatherers have high levels of inactive time, around 10 hours per day, which is surprisingly similar to the inactive time in industrial populations, like here in Canada, or likely where you are listening to this podcast right now. I know, right? What the hell's going on here? The researchers went on to say, however, and this is a big however, in Hadza adults, inactive time often occurred in a squatting position, which increased levels of muscle recruitment and could be considered what they're calling active rest, in contrast to sitting in a lumbar-supported car, then transferring ourselves to an expensive office chair only to conclude the day on a great big pillowy couch. Now, based on these results, the authors proposed that inactivity mismatch hypothesis, which proposed that human physiology is better adapted to more consistently active muscles from a combination of physical activity and active rest. Now let me repeat that. Human physiology is better adapted to more consistently active muscles from a combination of physical activity, getting up and moving, and active rest sitting in less traditional, for us anyway, positions. So, okay, let's go back to the question of should we burn all our chairs and throw out our couches and all of that? So the answer is, well, yeah, that would probably really help. But also, no. The prescription of 30 to 45 minutes of moderate intensity aerobic or strength exercise three to five times a week still stands true. Let's stick with that. But the prescription of getting up and moving on a regular basis throughout the day would also neatly fit into this need for more consistently active muscles, as well as learning how to squat while you eat your lunch or watch the hockey game, which incidentally I'm actually working on. Consistently active muscles isn't that hard to make happen if you just stand up occasionally, and if you can get some movement while you achieve some of your daily tasks as well, well, even better. And we'll look at some ways to achieve that, but first we have to pay our membership fees. Do you like to shop on Amazon.com and enjoy supporting this podcast? 
You do? Well, have I got a deal for you. If you start your Amazon shopping adventure by going to brockarmstrong.com slash Amazon, I will get a small percentage of the money that you spend. And the best part is that you don't pay anything extra. This all comes out of their pockets. Take that, Bezos. So next time you buy anything on Amazon, go to brockarmstrong.com slash Amazon and shop while also supporting this podcast. I truly thank you for being a listener and for your support. That's brockarmstrong.com slash Amazon. So, okay, other than actually getting out of your chair on a regular basis during your work day or your day day, how else can you get more consistently active muscles? Well, let's talk about our commute. And by commute, I don't just mean driving to an office somewhere. I mean running errands, I mean going places, visiting people, anytime you're going from point A to point B. That's your commute. Okay, now I very recently bought a car. I used 2014 Mazda 3 hatchback to be exact, but for the 11 years before that, I didn't own a car and it taught me a lot. Now, when you own a car, that question of how will I get from point A to point B is always answered by default. I will drive. Of course, I have a car. Not to mention that in some points in my life, I had a pretty cool car with some hilarious bumper stickers on it and a rather decent stereo system with a veritable mountain of cassette tapes. Uh, most of them David Bowie, to be honest. Now, if the distance between point A and point B was extremely short, I would likely walk or ride my bike. I mean, I'm not some kind of crazy car monster, but for any distance or duration over a few minutes or so, I would simply get in the car, crank up hunky-dory, and drive. Now, this was doubly likely because I grew up in some really cold Albertan winters. Once I sold my car, I got into this mindset of not owning a car. And when you take that I own a car element out of your life, the how will I get there equation makes you creative. Will I walk? Will I ride my bike? Will I take the bus? Will I take the subway? Will I walk there and run back? Will I use a car share program? Will I call a friend? Will I take a, an Uber? Will I call my mom? Because even using a car share program involves walking to the parking spot where the car is kept and then walking home again after you drop the car off. The first beneficial thing about many of these alternative modes of getting around is that they involve physical activity or moving your body parts. I mean, even taking the bus or the subway involves walking, standing, balancing, using proprioception that we don't use when we're sitting on our butts in a car seat. And like I said, even using one of those car share programs, you have to walk to the parking spot and then you have to walk home again. Now, the second beneficial thing with these carless alternatives is that they have many deep health benefits like lowering stress levels, raising your mood, and perhaps even helping you get better sleep. But we'll get into that in a little bit. Now, according to a report from the United States Census Bureau, the average American's commute is 25.5 minutes each way. So that's 51 minutes per day or 204 hours per year spent commuting. Now, 
Just to put that in some kind of perspective, researchers recently found that most adults only do 17 minutes of physical activity per day, or about 103.4 hours per year. So, doesn't take a math genius to see that we are only exercising for approximately half the amount of time that we are spending on our commute. Woof. So let's talk about walking, because, you know, I'm a huge fan of cycling, but many people find that problematic, and we'll talk about that on another day. So let's just talk about walking in particular. Now, assuming the distance isn't prohibitively far, there's a load of scientifically backed reasons to add more movement into your commute. A study at Stanford University showed that people scored higher on tests for creative thinking when they walk to their destination. Research from the American Heart Association shows that you can cut the effects of even a genetic predisposition to obesity in half by walking for an hour per day. A study from the University of East Anglia showed that people who switched from driving to walking, or cycling, just saying, actually experienced a greater sense of well-being. And if you're interested in being a high performer, walking to work also showed a greater ability to concentrate and remain calm under pressure. According to a Penn State University study, your spouse, your friends, and your co-workers are more likely to choose an active mode of transportation if they see you doing it. It's kind of like the lemming effect, but used for the power of good. According to a 2013 study in the American Journal of Preventative Medicine, walking to work can lower your blood pressure and lower your risk of diabetes. And of course, you don't have to just walk to work. That's going to be true if you're walking to the grocery store or a friend's house. And finally, according to a 2015 study in the British Journal of Sports Medicine, walking outdoors, preferably in some nice green space or a park, can actually put your brain into a meditative state. Now, this practice is called forest bathing. And I can tell you from first-hand experience, because I do this a lot, it really works. Now, what elevates the importance of all of these studies I just listed is that they were done on people who were commuting to and from work or school, not people going out for a dedicated walking session or a set amount of predetermined exercise time. These people were building fitness, cardio, stress-relieving, fresh-air-breathing, leg-stretching, carbon-footprint-reducing, wind-in-your-face aspects of movement into their daily life and getting other things done at the same time. Now, this shows us the added benefits of making movement, exercise, and activity part of your day-to-day life over simply hitting the gym for whatever amount of time. Getting a dedicated workout four or five times a week is great, and I will never stop you from doing that if you want to hit a sport-specific or a fitness goal. But to be a truly healthy and well individual, as it turns out our ancient biology thirsts for, you need to keep that movement going for the other 23 hours of the day. Yeah, okay, sure. You need to sleep in there too, but you get my point, right? This is important stuff. So, okay, what did we learn today? In order to give your body what it needs, we need to live an active and mobile life for your health and your wellness. 
and then we could hit the gym for some vanity muscles, and I have no problem with that. Just make sure you treat the active lifestyle like your main meals for the day, and your gym time like dessert. Make sense? Alright. Thanks for listening to this episode of Second Wind Fitness. My name is Brock Armstrong. Talk to you soon.